we continue to study the book of Proverbs this year, a book of wisdom. I encourage you to open your heart, open your spirit as we listen to the words of Solomon. Solomon was a great man of wisdom. He asked the Lord for wisdom. And because he asked the Lord for wisdom, the Lord gave it to him. Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for material possessions. And because he didn't ask for those things, God gave him wisdom. He was the smartest man. Uh, even though he was the smartest man, he, he, didn't make this, <laughs> he didn't always make the wisest decisions. And so um, Samson was the strongest man, and uh, he didn't make wise decisions either. Judas lived with Jesus for three and a half some years, and he didn't make some wise decisions either. So you can be at the right place at the right time in the right environment and have the right preach and right church and even read the Bible, but that doesn't make you make right decisions. All right. So making right decisions is being intentional. You've got to make a right decision. Let me say this and let me say it loud and clear. You are a sum total of all the decisions that you have made in your life. You are a sum total of all the decisions that you have made in your life. If you do not like how your life is turning out. It is because you have made those decisions. Nobody else. You have made those decisions. We have to be responsible for the decisions that we make. We live in a society that when we don't like something, we like a quick fix. We go to a doctor. He writes us a prescription. And supposedly that's supposed to fix it all. But when you look at the Bible and there is a problem, God don't write you a prescription to fix it. He wants you to accept the responsibility of the situation. That's how you change the situations of your life, is that you accept the responsibilities. Every time he healed somebody, he required that person to accept a responsibility. If you want healing, then you need to stand up, pick up your mat, and come towards me. There's a responsibility that you must play. So walking in wisdom is making the right decisions. It's not some kind of spiritual goosebump. It is not some kind of spiritual... Uh, you know, experience that you need to seek after. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to men liberty and upbraideth or not. God gives us wisdom, but you've got to make the right decisions to put that wisdom into practice. Your life is a sum total of all the decisions that you have made in your life. You see, many times we come to the end of, many people come to the end of their life and they're not happy with the decisions that they've made. They think maybe they should have went to more school, maybe they should have done this, Maybe they should have married a different person. You know, I don't know. People have lots of regrets in life. But you've got to understand that it's never too late to make the right decision. Never too late to make the right decision. Wisdom is practical. And wisdom is making right decisions based upon the information that you have. And the information that I am suggesting is the Word of God. So you've got to make the right decisions according to the Word of God. That is practical wisdom. It is not some kind of spiritual experience that you seek after. It is, it is practical decisions that you make in your life based upon the information that you have. And the more information you have, the more truth that you have. But you've got to make a decision to follow the truth that you know. And that is wisdom. And you see, you don't have a money problem. You may be in debt tonight, but you don't have a money problem. You have a wisdom problem. You're not making right decisions with your money. You don't have a marriage problem. You have a decision problem. You're not doing something right. Wisdom is making right decisions. Maybe you're not communicating well. Maybe you're not, something is not right. You, it's a wisdom issue. 
Alright, so, so it's most of our issues that we face in life is directed by a wisdom issue. Number one, it's a wisdom issue. Number two, most, some of our problems can be directed by demonic forces. We know that Paul was hindered several occasions in the book of Acts. The Bible says that Paul even pleaded with the Lord that the Lord would deliver him from this thorn in his flesh. So he, was, he had a hindering spirit that was coming against him. So we do see in Scripture that the enemy can hinder us in many different uh, aspects of our life. So the enemy can hinder us. That can be an occasion. Number two, it can be a wisdom issue. We see that in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28, Paul said, please don't get on the ship. Please don't, please don't get on the ship. I, I beg you, don't do it. They got on the ship in Iraqladon. A great storm came, and you know what happened. They could have missed the storm if they listened to wisdom, if they listened to advice, and made the right decision. So even in the book of Acts, you see that some of our problems is a direct problem of the lack of wisdom, not making the right decisions based on the information that we know. Some of our problems is a direct result of demonic forces. We understand that. Listen, I'm not trying to be a mystic tonight. A mystic is somebody that thinks that everything has some kind of, uh, they're obsessed with spiritual experiences. That's, that's a mystic for you. Pentecostalism is, Pentecostalism is considered mystic. Do you know that? If you look it up, we are considered a mystic religion because we believe in the supernatural, angels, demons, demonic exorcisms, uh, uh, you know, we believe in all the, the supernatural things. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose is loosed. We believe that you can experience God, not only know God. So there is a mystic part of Pentecostalism, and I agree with that. I, I don't have a problem with that. I, what I have a problem with is that we sometimes don't make appropriate decisions when we try to spiritualize everything. Can I hear an amen? If you are in debt tonight, you are in debt not because the devil puts you in debt, you are in debt because you put yourself in debt. See, that's what I mean by that. Don't, don't over-spiritualize everything. But we do know the spiritual world is real. We do know that there is an enemy. We do know there are spiritual forces at work. We do know that. And we got to be aware of that. Can I hear an amen? We, there is a spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. And you've got to know your weaponry. You've got to know how to engage in this spiritual warfare. So I agree with that. But at the same time, the Lord has not called us to check our mind out at the front door. That somehow we think that we don't need to use our logic and our reason for, for the practical decisions in our life. And so I'm asking you to be men and women of wisdom. Make the right decisions in your life. Some of the decisions that our young people is making is not wise decisions. I, I know John Wesley taught his people in that great holiness movement. He says, you need to, you need to save all you can. You need to give all you can, save all you can, give all you can. All right? That's a, that's, a good, that's a good principle. Save, save all you can. You need to give all you can. It's a principle that he put in place. You see, it was a very practical wisdom. Another thing that John Wesley did, he, said he understood that preaching on Sunday didn't really get the job done. He was a great man of wisdom. If you ever want to read about a man of wisdom outside of the Bible, it is John Wesley. He made one of the greatest contributions to Christianity, probably more, uh, other besides the Apostle Paul, John Wesley really changed a lot of the things that we do in church. And one of the great contributions that he made is he understood, according to his contemporary, which is George Whitfield, George Whitfield preached camp meetings, that's where we got the, the term camp meeting from, he would preach camp meetings and thousands of people were saved. John Wesley thought, that's good, but it's not wise. 
And the reason it's not wise is after all these people get saved, how are you supposed to disciple these people? How are you supposed to train them in the gospel? How are you supposed to train them in the Bible? So you give an altar call and they go home? Billy Graham realized the same thing. Billy Graham went throughout the whole world preaching the gospel. Thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people got saved. But Billy Graham came to a point in his life where he realized, listen, I'm preaching to all these people, but somebody is going to have to be their pastor. Somebody is going to have to disciple them. Somebody is going to have to teach them the gospel. Somebody's going to have to teach them how to live the Christian life. And so, of course, Billy Graham started the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association to try to disciple people. That was a man of wisdom. You understand what I'm saying? So John Wesley said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put them in classes and bands. So they had church on Sunday, and throughout the week they had small groups. They had small groups. Because he realized that the church is only as strong as the smallest group. Because people, listen, we don't like to open up to people. We, don't, we, don't, we like to go to a church in a big auditorium because you know we don't have to open up to anybody. We can come in, sit in the seat, listen to the sermon, go home. We don't have to be the hands and feet to Jesus. We don't have to open up and share our struggles with people. But if you read the Bible, that's not the Bible that I read. That's not the Bible that I read. God has never called the church to be institutionalized. Where we come to church and listen to a sermon, sing songs and leave. The church is to be a family. Everybody gets caught up family time, family time, family time, family time. But let's not forget about this family time. This is a church. This, 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 this. I know, I know 10 years ago when I was pastoring my first church, I had somebody get mad at me. 12 years ago, actually. They, they got mad at me. I mean, they were fighting mad at me. Uh, they were fighting mad at me because, you know, I was preaching holiness and to live right and and, and, and they were going to leave my church because I, I asked people to live right. And I was thinking to myself, and they just got saved. I mean, they came to the altar, got saved. They were going to church for, I don't know, a couple months, and I was telling this person, I said, now listen, I want to be your pastor, I want to help you, but you probably can't be sleeping with your girlfriend. I mean, I think that was a reasonable expectation. How many would agree with Pastor Josh? I said, it's probably not good that you're sleeping with your girlfriend. I want to be your pastor, I want to help you, and he was really zealous, Randy. I mean, he was zealous. I mean, he was speaking in tongues in church. I mean, he was coming to the front. I mean, he was really excited for the Lord. And I had a, I mean, I, I, I have a heart to pastor. You all know that. I love people. So I was telling this person, I really want to help you. I really want to mentor you. And he said, okay, pastor, what, what do I need to do to live right? I said, well, just make a couple good practical decisions. Let's first, I know that you're hormonal and I know that you're a man. But the scripture teaches self-control, and, and let's, let's just, if, if you can't control yourself, let's get married. That's a good solution. Can I hear an amen? I mean, if you're really having a problem, let's just, let's find somebody <laughs> that you're compatible to, all right, and get married. I said, but let's not have sex outside of marriage. Well, he got so mad at me, I mean, fighting mad. Got up, left, slammed the door. That's it. That's all that I heard of him. So my point is this. I could have been a person that spiritualized it. And I could have just said to the man, you know what, God understands your heart. God loves you. God, God, blah, 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 blah. And just, but you have to make practical decisions. And I'm not pinpointing that. Please don't, I'm not pinpointing anybody. I'm not even pinpointing that. I'm just using that as an example of making practical decisions. I remember one time I was pastoring, this, this, this person came to me and, you know, they wanted help. They wanted help to, they wanted help with their finances. And I said, listen, I don't have time to sit down and, 
do all this. I'm in seminary. I'm going to school. But I, I, I can give you a few pointers about finances. All right, just a few pointers. I'm not perfect at it, but I'm learning at it. So a few pointers. And number one, don't don't spend what you don't have. So that was a good principle. How I many would agree with that? So I said that to him. Number two, I said, let's start giving to God 10%. Let's, let's, let's write off. He says to me, well, do I give the gross or the net? I said, well, probably the gross, okay? Let's, let's, that's, that's what you made, all right? Let's, let's give it to God. Well, he, he gets mad at me. He leaves my church, tells people in my church that all I wanted was money. And all I was trying to do, Sister Judy, is to help the man. That's all I wanted to do is help the man. I said Sunday morning, God is not after a piece of paper with green ink on it backed up by the government. Do you really think God needs paper? Really, do you really think God needs paper? He doesn't need paper. He needs your heart. And so that he got mad at me. He left my church. And I begin to think to myself, Everybody is saying they want wisdom. Everybody says they want to walk in holiness. They want to do what's right. But yet when you sit down in a loving way and talk to people, they instantly get mad and leave. There's a book called Celebration of Discipline, which Kathy is very familiar with, and the guys that I'm mentoring with, Lewis, you're here, some of the guys I'm mentoring, we're reading the book. He's, uh, Richard Foster said this. He said, very powerful. Sister Kathy, did you read chapter 10 on guidance? He said this. And if you don't have that book, y'all need to read this book. I mean, you need to read the Bible and you need to read that book, okay? Celebration of Discipline. He said, if a person cannot listen to another godly person, he will not listen to the Holy Spirit. Bam. Everybody say, bam. You can't listen to the Holy Spirit if you're not willing to listen to a godly man or woman in your life who's trying to help you. And I see that in church all the time. Everybody's having visions and dreams. Ooh, they see the glory. Ooh, the glory. Ooh, the glory. Ooh, the glory. Ooh, the glory. And then you try to talk to them about something, and they get mad at you. How much glory did you really have, folks? If you're not willing to listen to somebody, a man or a woman, Paul said you got many instructors, but you got few fathers. Few fathers. What is a father? A father is somebody who comes alongside of you and helps you and shows you how to grow up. That's what a father is. And if you read the book, book of Proverbs, over and over it tells you, you need to listen to wise counsel. You need to listen to the people in your life. You need to wake up because you don't want to go down the same path as everybody else. Wake up. Wake up. Don't do it. Wake up. If you can't listen to the godly people in your life, you're not going to listen to the Holy Spirit. And if you read the book of Proverbs over and over, Proverbs 1, Proverbs 2, Proverbs 3, what does he say? Hear my words, my son. Hear my words, my son. Open up your ears, my son. Hear my words. Isn't that a common phrase in the Bible? Revelation. What does the book of Revelation say to the seven churches? What did the Lord say to the churches? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Is it possible that we can be listening and not hearing? Is it possible that we can come to church and listen and give mental assent to the things in our life and we're really not hearing things? I promise you, you can save yourself from a lot of hell in your life if you will just 
give heed to practical wisdom. Just make right decisions in your life. Now, remember the early church prayed together and the early church came together and I think, um, can somebody, I don't know where it's at, but I think, um, I think it's, I think it's uh, Acts chapter 15, but maybe you all can tell me where it's at or somebody can Google it real quick. Where is the scripture where it says it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit? Where's that at? Can you find that? Where's that at, Lewis? Does anybody know where that scripture is at? Is it Acts 15? It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit when the church prayed. I want you to see something here. Does anybody know where it's at? Huh? What is it? Okay, put it up there. Let me, let me show you a principle here. Acts 15, 28. Look, look at this. This is the early church. They came together and they started praying. Okay? And this was their conclusion when they were laying hands on some of the missionaries that were going to go out. Verse 28. 1520. So it was in chapter 15, right? Um, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay our hands, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Now stop here. Isn't it ironic? Look at this scripture. It did not say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and me. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and me. And that's where we mess up in wisdom. Because wisdom is found in a multitude of counsel. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. Wisdom is found in a multitude of counsel. And when we come together as a group, not everybody's going to miss the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a few people in the group that's carnal, but that doesn't mean if you have elders or leaders in the church coming together to make a decision, if you have a group of people come together that love God and want to hear God's voice, you might have a couple people that's not hearing God's voice, but the majority will hear God's voice. God speaks through a community. Now let me give you a principle. God does speak to individuals, but whatever He speaks to the individual is confirmed by the community. That is why when somebody feels called into the ministry, the Scripture says it is the eldership that confirms you are called. In other words, the church, the community, confirms to the individual that you are called. So you can't just call yourself. People get up and say, I'm called to preach. Did the church confirm it? Did a group of people in your life confirm it that you were called? Because if you read Scripture, now I don't care your philosophy, because people say, you know, I'm anointed and I can do whatever I want to do. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's absolutely not what the Bible teaches. There's a lot of people who are called and picked up their Bible and went, and nobody is endorsing them. Can I hear an amen? And how many would raise your hand and say, you probably wouldn't endorse them either. Come on. I mean, we've got to be careful. That's why when somebody is ordained into the ministry, there is a group of people, eldership, that has confirmed your calling. Now, is there some exceptions in church history that the eldership has been wrong? Yes, that is the exception. It's not the norm. Normally, a group of people who have a heart to hear God will hear the voice of God. Not everybody's going to be off in the group. It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. That is why when we moved in this building, when we moved here, it was a six to eight month process because I understood that wisdom is found in the multitude of counsel and we went over here, we looked at the building, we prayed over it, I fasted and prayed, met with the financial team 
We brought people in from the outside to look at it, brought people in to look in our finances. Not only the financial team, the elders looked at it. The elders voted, had the elders to vote a yes and no. I wouldn't have done it if they didn't do it. They voted yes or no. After they voted, the financial team voted yes or no. After they voted yes or no, I did a vision night and the church voted yes or no. There was a process because it seems good to us and the Holy Ghost. It wasn't Pastor Josh. It had to be an us thing. So how do I know that we're in the will of God? Because the scripture says it seemed good to us and the Holy Ghost. It wasn't, come on somebody, can I hear an amen? It, this, this was a corporate thing. It wasn't coaxed or manipulated because I even got up and said, listen, if you don't want to go, that's perfectly fine. I'm not going nowhere. I'm going to be your pastor. I'm going to pastor the church anyway. doesn't matter. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us? Marriages would have been saved if people would have just listened to wise counsel. Somebody better help me preach up in here. <laughs> but people have been like Samson and like, well, I, you know, Samson's mom and dad said, listen, Samson, don't do this. Don't bring grief to your parents. Marry somebody in your tribe here. Don't go to a Philistine woman. And what did he do? He went and did his own thing. And of course, you know how the story turned out. Wisdom is found in a multitude of counsel. Is there exceptions that the counsel could be wrong? There is some exceptions, but they're very few. They're very few. That is why it's very, very important that if somebody comes to you and they're a godly man and a godly woman and there's a council or a group of people heeding with you and pleading with you, if you say no to it, you, how can you say no to that and yes to the Holy Spirit? It just doesn't work. Jesus doesn't have a voice unless he uses the voice of the church. Jesus doesn't have a voice unless he uses the voice of people. Where, oh, come on, folks. Where is Jesus? He doesn't have a face. doesn't have hands. He doesn't. When you say that you're following Jesus, what you're actually saying is you're following people who demonstrate the principles and precepts of Scripture. That is what we're saying. Because you can't see Jesus. It's not Jesus and you only. Yes, people are going to fail you. There's going to be idiot preachers and idiot pastors who all they want is money and fame. That's always going to happen. But there's idiot doctors, medical doctors, who do the same thing. You can go down to a car and get your car fixed, and the mechanic lies to you and rips you off. There's going to be mechanics that rips you off. There's going to be doctors that rip you off. Come on, somebody. There's going to be bad, there's going to be bad marriages. There's going to be bad men and bad women. But just because, one, just because there's one bad apple doesn't mean they're all bad. And just because one preacher's bad doesn't make them all bad. Can I hear an amen? Just because one church wanted uh, hungry money and all that doesn't mean make them all bad. And just because a medical doctor does you wrong doesn't mean you stop going to the medical doctor. You just find another doctor. And just because a church does you wrong doesn't mean you stop going to church. You just find another church. And let me just break it down to you. You know why the church is imperfect? It just... Let, let me just help thee out. Let me help you out. You know why it's this way? People, I hear it all the time. Believe me, I hear it all the time. All, I mean, it's so much. It's just so much. I don't want to go to church because this person did me wrong. This person's a hypocrite. I know what this person used to do. This person did this back in the day. I hear all that. I don't want to go. Blah, 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 blah. blah. And, that, and that's so petty. Because the reason that God wants you to go to a church in the midst of people who hurt you and they're hypocrite. Whatever you think the list is. The reason that God wants you to be planted in a body like that is because it's called sanctification. It's called growth. How are you supposed to grow if there's not an opposing force? 
How are you supposed to grow if everybody acts like you? How are you supposed to grow if everybody is just acting like Jesus all the time? There's, you can't grow. That's why you've got to go to church with somebody that gets on your nerves. And you've got to go to church with somebody you don't agree with. Come on, somebody. You've got, because it, it's, the, it's the sandpaper that keeps you growing. And people who leave the church because they think everybody's imperfect, they usually don't ever grow in their life. But you have somebody like Grandma Beaver and Sister Raylene who says to me in private, I want to share something with you that I don't agree with, but it's just between me and you, and I'm not going to share it with anybody or talk in front with my family. That's wisdom right there. That's wisdom right there. Not getting on the phone, telling everybody, running our mouths, and telling your neighbor what the church did wrong. Your responsibility as a Christian is to protect the name of the church. I'm going to say that again. Your responsibility as a Christian is to protect the name of the church. That means it doesn't matter if your kids are upset with the church, you need to protect the name of the church. And I hear an amen up in here. Why do you need to protect the name of the church? Because the church is his bride. And you better be protecting his bride. You may not like his bride. But you don't leave your spouse because you don't like him and have a hard day. And you're not supposed to leave his bride just because you have a hard day. It's called sanctification. It's called growing in grace. It's called growing up and maturing in the faith. You can't grow unless there's sandpaper. Can't grow unless there's opposing forces in your life. You can't grow unless there's conflict. What is the Greek word for conflict? To strike. There has to be something that's striking in your life. So conflict is not necessarily bad. It's how conflict is resolved that makes it bad. That, that's what makes conflict bad. It's how it's handled and how it's resolved. Conflict is not bad. Pain is not bad. There's going to be pain in your body. It's an indication that something is wrong. That does not make pain bad. You have to have it. Conflict is good. Pain is good. It's an indication that something needs to change, something needs to grow, something needs to be adjusted. Something needs to change. You understand what I'm saying? So wisdom is making right decisions. Now, listen to Pastor Josh. I've used several examples tonight, and these examples is not directed to anyone in particular. I'm just sharing my heart with you tonight over my overflow of what I've learned and studied in my ministry. I've pastored since I was 22 years old, and so these are some of the things that I've seen in my own ministry. It's not to be directed to you in particular. This is a general sermon to let you know that wisdom is not something that's mystical, but wisdom is making right decisions and no matter what you've done, maybe tonight you say, well, pastor, you know, I've made these wrong decisions in my life. I've done these wrong things. Well, guess what? This is the good thing. That you can stop right now and make good decisions right now. Right now, you can make good decisions. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. You say, boy, I've done all these things in the past. It doesn't matter. You can make right decisions right now. You can change the course of things. You can change it right now. Can I hear an Amen. You don't have to continue to go down the wrong path. You can make the right decision. You know what's interesting about Proverbs chapter 9? What time is it? Can I hear an amen? What time is it? 7.32. Proverbs chapter 9 is interesting. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, but this is what I want you to see in Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9 is likened, he likens wisdom to a woman. Okay. Now, it's interesting to me that Solomon's always bringing up women here, you know, 
wisdom is always likened to a woman. Well, you know, he had a woman problem. And I hear an amen. So he, 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 he's likened wisdom to a woman. But in chapter 9, he talks about two women. Everyone say two women. He, he talks about two women here. The first woman is called wisdom, and the other woman is called folly. Everyone say folly. Don't help me out. Everybody say two women. Shout two women. One woman is wisdom. The other woman is folly. So he talks about two women here. He likens wisdom to a woman, and he likens folly to a woman. And then he gives the impression in chapter 9 that these women are rivals. In other words, they don't get along good. And if you ever knew anything about women, two women that don't like each other, that's not a good thing. And I hear an amen. And all the women say amen. It's just not a good thing, unless it's resolved. But you have two women here, chapter 9, they don't like each other. Do not like each other. They're rivals. They're fighting against one another. The first woman is wisdom. The second woman is folly. Everybody say wisdom. And everybody say folly. Now, each of, these wis- each of these women are described in this chapter. It's really interesting how it's described. Wisdom is described, this woman is described as wisdom. She's described as a woman of character. A folly is described, this other woman, folly, is described as a prostitute serving stolen food. So the first woman is wisdom. And she is described as a woman of character and integrity who makes the right decisions in life. The other woman is folly, and Solomon likens this other woman to like a prostitute who eats stolen bread. Stolen bread. Eats something that should be nourishment to your soul, but it's actually stolen. She appears to be given something right, but it's what she's given to you is not genuine, it's actually Stolen. So wisdom here is a woman, and yet there's another woman also named Folly. Verses 1 through 12, verses 1 through 12, and I don't want to read all of it to you, but verses 1 through 12, it talks about wisdom. The first woman is wisdom, and she has built a house. This woman has built a house, and she has seven pillars in her house. So the first woman is building a house. Okay? She has a house, and it it's, 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 has seven pillars in it. So it's a good, strong, stable house. Would you believe so? Verse number two, the Bible says, verse number two, that uh, she's, she's preparing a meal. She's slaughtering the meat. She has some wine. She's fixing her table. So the first woman here is wisdom, and this woman has a strong house. She has seven pillars. She has meat on the table. She has some wine to drink. Okay, so you get the picture here. A strong house, a, ha- a table that's prepared with meat on it, wine. She's furnished the table. I mean, this woman is a woman. I mean, she is really at it here. I mean, she's father's nose vest. She has the high heels on and the apron on and she has slaughtered the meat all day and she has just really, really, I mean, she's really at it today. All right. Verse number three, verse number three, the Bible says she sent out her maids and her maids are going throughout the city crying in the highest places of the city. Uh, Verse number four, 
And what is the maids doing? The maidens doing? They're crying out saying, well, if you're simple, you don't understand, you need to come to this house. You need to come to this house. If you lack wisdom, you lack understanding. Verse number five, if you lack, verse number five, you need to come and eat bread and drink the wine that I've mixed. So get this, get this. everybody look up here. The first woman has a house. The house has seven pillars. The house has a table. Meat, wine, the table's prepared. The woman sends out some maidens or her maids. She goes throughout, this, these maids go out through the town, the highest places of the city, and they're beckoning everybody to come to the house. It's like Sister Jennifer preparing a great feast on Sunday. and She sends people out. Tell everybody if they're hungry, come to my house to eat. This is what this woman is doing. If you want to eat, I got some food. I've slaughtered some meat for you. I got some drink. You can come to my house. It's free. This, you, you know what Solomon's doing? Solomon is like, this is wisdom, folks. Wisdom is free. Wisdom is crying in the streets. Wisdom is saying, you can have all the meat you want. You can have all the wine you want. Wisdom is saying that it's strong. Why? Because her house is not a tent. Her house is a house made of seven pillars. It's strong. It's permanent. Wisdom can be strong in your life. Wisdom is something that is a firm foundation in your life. If you have wisdom, you will be like a strong house with seven pillars. If you have wisdom in your life, you're always going to be taken care of. There's always going to be a table prepared with meat and wine. You're always going to be taken care of. There's always going to be plenty. So I don't know about you, but I want that type of life right there. I want a life that's strong. I want a life that has strong foundation. I want a life that I have provision in my life. You see, that's what wisdom does. Wisdom is saying, I can provide you something that's strong. I could provide you something that will take care of you. There's not going to be lack. It's going to be strong. And we live in a generation where people are living from paycheck to paycheck, struggling from here to there. Maybe we just need to stop and say, maybe... I don't need to pray about this anymore. Maybe I just need to make some practical decisions in my life and change the way I do some things so I can always have meat on my table and I can have a firm foundation in my life. Can somebody wave your hand and say, that's right, preacher. Maybe that's why our prayers are not being answered because we're praying about something that we need to do ourselves. So, she has seven pillars. Why seven? Seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number of fullness. So if you have wisdom in your life, you will always be complete. You will always be full. You will always walk in fullness if you have wisdom. Raise your right hand and say, Lord, I want wisdom in my life. Say, I want to make the right decision. I want to be strong. I want to be vibrant. I want to have provision. Amen. I want to be a strong house. I want to have meat on my table. I want to have wine at my table. Seven is the number of completion. Number of completion. Number of completion. She says, verse number five, Proverbs chapter nine, verse five. She says, come and eat, come and eat. Come and eat, come and eat and drink my wine. She says in verse number six, forsake your foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. In other words, wisdom is like a woman saying, come to my house and eat. Come to my house. Leave your foolish ways. Leave your foolish thinking. Come to my house and sit down and eat with me. Eat with me. 
forsake your foolishness and live. Boy, how many would agree with Pastor Josh? There's a lot of foolish living nowadays. People are crazy. I just saw the other day, and I don't know if it's true, but this was sickening to my stomach, where the, the, a group of people want to make it legal for pedophiles to have sex with minors. Is that true? I just heard that twice on TV one time. Is that true? And I thought to myself, is this the generation that we are living in where so much foolishness and perversion is happening? That is why it's important. Listen, when you got saved, your mind didn't get saved, folks. And if you think that your, your mind is again saved. Now, you may love Jesus and you may want to go to heaven, but your mind is not saved. That's why, you, that's why you're here. Because your mind ain't saved. So when you leave tonight, you are in the world six days a week, primarily, and you are around people who think like the world, dress like the world, they spend money like the world, they think like the world, you do me wrong, I do you wrong, you cuss me, I cuss you, that's the world's way of thinking. And we're around that six days a week. Why is it hard for us to believe that it is important that we change the way we think. You are not to adapt to the culture. You are to be countercultural tonight. You are to be against the culture. You are not to think like the culture. You are not to live like the culture. You are not to conduct yourself like the culture. We are the church, the Greek word, ekklesia, called out from among the world. And if you're spending money like the world, acting like the world, dressing like the world, talking like the world, you got too much of the world and you need to go into wisdom's house and sit at her table and leave the street of society. Better run to the house of wisdom. So this business of spending our money like the world and saying that we don't want to give it to God, you're thinking like the world. People, I mean, people cuss you out on the street and they're Christians and have a bumper sticker on the back of their car saying they're clergy. They're thinking like the world. Gee, you know what, you, you know... You have to think like the scriptures. You got to be a two mile man in a one mile world. Jesus said if they ask you to go one mile, you go two. That means if they slap you on one cheek, you turn to the other. You don't slap them back. That's the world's way of thinking. I'm just going to give them peace of my mind. You're thinking like the world. Jesus said, put away your swords. For if I needed it, I'd call 12 legions of angels to come and deliver me. I don't need your swords. I don't need you to defend me. Put your sword away. That's why it's important that you've got to change the way you think. Your mind ain't saved. The way we raise our children, are you raising them according to the world or according to the church? Your money, your relationship, your marriage, how we treat each other, is it according to Scripture or the way of the world? Just because you've seen it for 30 years of how somebody's done it, that doesn't mean it's Scripture. It could be cultural. Ecclesia called out from among the world. That's the church. We're not supposed to be like the church or the world. We are called out from among the world. The church is a city in a society. 
We are a different city in a society. We are a different group of people in the midst of a group of people. We are a different nation in the midst of a nation. Can I hear an amen? We are a different society in the midst of society. And if you're smelling like the world, you're sleeping around with them too much. You're around the smoke too much. Wisdom is a woman saying, get out of the street. Get in my house. Quit living foolishly. Why are you living like that? You're living foolishly. You're, you're not going in the way of understanding. You're, you're living like the world and you don't need to. Come to my house. My house is strong. My house is complete. My house is furnished. There's food at the table. There's plenty of wine to drink. And you're out there like the prodigal son the prodigal son wasted everything he had. And what did he say? Why am I here when my father has everything I need? Why, why are you suffering tonight? Why, why are you struggling so much? Are you struggling with society and the culture? Have you surrendered? Are you obedient according to the scriptures? There is no struggle when there is complete obedience. For you have given up your own will. Quit living foolishly. Quit it. Run to the house of wisdom, for it's strong. You know, wisdom, that woman wisdom says, she, he who corrects the scoffer gets shame for himself. He who rebukes the wicked, man only harms himself. He says there's going to be some people that's not going to understand it. Some people's going to rebuke you when you try to say you don't need to live that way. The famous, the famous, you all, you all want to know what the 21st century famous words are in our culture? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Well, let me just break it to you. You better wish somebody would judge you because God's judgment is much worse. God judges on a much worse scale. You remember what the disciple said, or Jesus said to the disciples, you better fear God who can destroy the body and the soul and throw it into hell. That's who you need to fear. Why are you getting so upset with how people see your life and judge your life? Let them judge you. But if you really read the scripture, it's hypocritical judgment that Jesus is condemning. For instance, I can't judge Dee Dee for a sin in her life if I am doing the same sin. That's why Jesus said, if you have a plank in your eye, don't be trying to pluck it out of her eye when you have it in your eye. So what is Jesus saying? That's hypocritical judging, and you should not do that. For if you are judging somebody with the same sin that you are struggling with, then it's going to come back on you seven times. But... If I'm not struggling with the sin and she's struggling and she's doing the sin and is non-repentant and I go to her and say, Dee Dee, what you're doing is not right and it's, it's not, you know, I say this in a spirit of love and tenderness to you that I love you as a brother in Christ. Please don't continue. And if you reject that, then you're in trouble because I'm not hypocritically judging her. 
It's hypocritical judgment that's wrong. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. Can I hear an amen up in here? So, forsake your foolishness. Go the way of understanding. Now, verse number 9, he says, this wisdom, this woman of wisdom, give understanding, give instruction to a wise man, and get this, and he will be still wiser. He, he, you, know what, you, know, you know what he's saying? Wisdom is like a woman. If, if, if you give instruction, he'll, he'll even get more wise. He's already wise. Get this. He's already wise because he's listening to you. But he will get even more wiser if he does what you tell him to do. Teach a just man. He'll increase in learning. Why will he increase in learning? He's already just because he's listening. You're already wise because you're listening. Wise people listen. Somebody asked Mother Teresa in the last days of her life, said, Mother, what is love? Mother Teresa said, to listen. That's what love is. Love is more than a feeling. Love is listening. Because when you listen, you become intimate. And when you become intimate, you become vulnerable. That's what love is. Somebody says they love you and they won't listen to you, they don't love you. You ever try to talk to someone and they're just rolling their eyes, looking at the ceiling, and you're saying, you understand what I'm saying? I'm reading a book called Developing Emotionally Mature Leaders. And I've always been like, don't listen to your emotions, don't listen to your emotions. And that's true to a certain extent. But emotions validate behavior, and behavior validate emotions. Everybody thinks, you know, we're supposed to develop a stoic Christianity, and that's not true. Every one of you have emotions. Every one of you. You have anger, you have shame, you have guilt, you have joy. All of us have the ability to express emotions. Because God is an emotional creature as well. So, or God is an emotional, spiritual being. So you see, give instruction to the wise man. Why? Well, he's already wise. He's going to continue to get wiser because he's listening to you. So, come into my house. I'm going to tell you a few things, she says. And then verse number two, verse number 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And then verse 11, for by me your ways will be multiplied. Look at this. By me, who's me? The woman is wisdom. By me, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. If you want to live a healthy life, a whole life, seek after wisdom. Verse 12, and if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you will bear it alone. So don't scoff against it. Verse 13, now who's the other woman? In closing, the other woman is a foolish woman. Folly, a foolish woman. So you have the first woman, now get this, the first woman is wisdom, right? And she has a strong house. Everybody say strong house. How many pillars does she have? Does she have a table prepared? Does she have meat on the table? Does she have wine? Does she send her maids out saying, come and come into the house? Now you have the other woman who is a foolish woman 
Look at this woman. This woman is foolish. She is simple, and the Bible says she doesn't know anything. <laughs> she knows nothing. Uh, now, this is kind of this is kind of straightforward. This this woman this woman doesn't she doesn't know nothing. Uh, which when I read that I started laughing. And listen, the Bible says in verse fourteen. The Bible says, listen, it doesn't say doesn't talk about her house. It just says that she sits at the door of her house, at the seat by the highest places of the city. Mentions hardly anything about her house. And it doesn't say that she's preparing food. It doesn't say she's preparing wine. It doesn't say that she's preparing anything. She's sitting at the door. She's not busy. She's not preparing anything. She, she, she's not slaughtering the meat. She's not putting the wine on the table. She's at the door. Why is she at the door? She's waiting to deceive people. Deception doesn't prepare anybody. Wisdom prepares. Deception leads you astray. Doesn't prepare you for anything. Verse 15. She's at the highest places of the city to call all those who pass by. So it's like a foolish woman at the door. She's sitting at the door and it's kind of like she's doing this. The other woman, what's the other woman doing? She's busy. She has meat on the table. She has wine. I mean, this woman knows how to do it. I mean, come on. I mean, this woman knows how to. And th that other woman has maids. She sends out to call people to the house. She knows what leadership is. It's delegation. She can't do it all herself. This woman, she's just sitting by the door. She's calling those, come here. And isn't that what sin is? Sin is like that. It's just that gentle voice. Just, just do it. Nobody wants to see you. Do it one time. Oh, go ahead and say it. Ain't, nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to see it but God, and you can ask for forgiveness later. And who go straight on their way. So there's people passing her house. She's trying to seduce them. Seduce them. The Bible says, verse 16, whoever is simple, let them turn in here. Simple. Simple. You know that if you don't follow wisdom, it is implied in Scripture that you are simple. So being smart is not about how many degrees you have. Being intelligent is making right decisions. That's the sign of intelligence. Being simple is people making wrong decisions over and over and over and then blaming everybody else for the decisions that they've made. And the Scripture calls you simple. Is this some good preaching or what? Are y'all with me tonight? I know y'all thinking that the people on Sunday morning needed to hear this, but y'all can go tell them, okay? 
I'm giving you all, I'm giving you all the food tonight, okay? I'm giving all the food to the sheep tonight. Y'all can disperse it whenever. And if this doesn't apply to you, now listen, I'm preaching what I've studied, so I'm not directing this towards anyone. Don't, don't get mad at me, all right? I'm just preaching the word here. All right, I love y'all. Y'all know I love you. And y'all perfect in my eyes. It's the church up the street that needs to do some changing. Y'all hearing me? Everybody say amen. And listen, and I've said this over and over. When I pre- listen, when I study this stuff, it beats me up first. So I've already been beat up when I read this. I've already been, Lord, help me, Jesus, because I ain't perfect. I'm far from it. I have so much mistakes. And I, I read this, I'm like, I want to strive for sanctification. Somebody say amen. So look at the woman. Almost done here. We only got two verses left. So she's by the door. She's, I'm over here to my house. It doesn't mention anything about her house. It doesn't mention anything about the food she's preparing. She's not slaughtering the meat. She's not doing anything. But look at verse 17. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So, The stuff that she does have is stolen. Hold on. The other woman, she slaughtered the meat. The other woman cooked the food. This woman, her food is stolen. And not only is it stolen, it ain't even good food. A little bit of water, a little bit of bread. Dude, the woman up the street slaughtered some meat and have some wine at the table. Can I hear an amen? This woman didn't even cook anything. She stole the water. And and the bread, you've got to eat it in secret. Why do you got to eat it in secret? Because she stole it. She she didn't go cook it. You know, when I was growing up in old school, my grandma would get up early in the morning and cook those green beans. I hear an amen. You put lard in those green beans. Bacon grease in those green beans. Can I hear all the women say Amen. You don't ever take green beans and put it on the stove and cook it for a few minutes. I ain't no green beans. You gotta cook it all day. You've got to cook bread all day. Need that bread. You know, nowadays you just go to Piggly Wiggly and get some bread and put it in the oven. But no, when I was growing up, my grandma got up early in the morning and need that bread. Can I hear an amen? She had flour all over. Can, is there any women that still cook like that? <laughs> Oh, Kathy, I know Kathy cooks like that. Anybody else cooks like that? Come on. Amen. And ain't nothing wrong if you want to go buy some bread up at the Piggly Wiggly. Ain't nothing wrong. It's good too, but ain't nothing like some homemade stuff. Can I hear an amen? Making myself hungry. So she stole the bread. And they eat the bread in secret. I mean, what do they do? Go to the back closet and eat the bread in secret? I mean, they're just... They just Eating and sick. You know why? Because they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. One woman, what's the principle, folks? Get this. Wisdom, strong house, cook the food on the table. That's hard work. Over here, it's stolen. If you want to live a life of wisdom, it's hard work. It doesn't come overnight. Making the right decisions doesn't happen overnight. It's hard work. 
It's hard to prepare the table. It's hard to slaughter the meat. It's hard to build the house. It's hard to have hard foundation. It's hard to go get people and bring them in. It's hard work. And that's why it's easy for us to come to the front and ask somebody to pray us through than for us to make right decisions because we don't want to go to the house where it's hard work and you have to prepare it. We don't want to do it. Well, quick deliverance. But I'm convinced that it's not deliverance that we need, it's discipline that we need. So, verse 18. But he does not know that the what? Are there. That our guests are in the depths of hell. Hold on. in this house. And the people that go into her house are eating stolen bread, drinking stolen water, and they don't know in the back room that there's dead folks. You know why they don't know that there's dead folks? They're too busy eating and drinking stolen stuff. And the world is going to hell, but they don't know they're going to hell. People living in sin, they don't know they're living in sin. Because they're enjoying stolen stuff. They don't want to work at their life. They don't want to work at it. They're, it's easy to steal stuff than to work for it. It's easy to steal bread than to slaughter the meat. It's easy for you to steal water than to make wine. It's hard to live a life of discipline and right decisions. It's easier for us to be tricked and to go into the woman of folly and eat and drink stolen stuff and at the same time we don't know she's packing the dead in the back room. It would behoove us to make hard decisions now so that we don't end up in the back room dead. Hard work. There's two women in this story. The first woman is called wisdom. The second woman is called folly. And you've got to make a decision what house you're going to go to. Amen.